is doing my things for me this morning, which is good. I've had my Red Bull, so I'm ready to preach <laughs> this morning. I'm excited. Uh, the Holy Spirit has challenged me in the last, like, six months or so, and so I'm excited to share with you what he has put on my heart and how he has challenged me this morning. Um, so if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Brooke Maxwell, and my husband and I serve here as the youth pastors, and I also get to oversee the women's ministry which I love so much. So as I said, uh, we're going to get into the word this morning. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment and just pray as we open up the scriptures this morning. So if you would bow your heads and join me in prayer, that would be great. Jesus, we just thank you that you are in this place. I thank you that you still speak to us through your word, Lord. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be evident in this place, that you would challenge us and that you would teach us more what it means to be like you, Jesus. So I pray that I would get out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would take over and the words that come out of my mouth would just be your Holy Spirit, not any wise and persuasive words, but just an outpouring of your spirit. And that's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, we're going to look at some scripture verses in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about spiritual growth. But before we do that, as Pastor Christie said a couple weeks ago, uh, we need to talk about context. Whenever we're studying any portions of scripture, it's important to know the context behind what you're looking at because it gives you greater understanding of the scripture verses as a whole. So we're going to talk about Hebrews. We're going to answer a couple questions like, who wrote the book of Hebrews? We're going to talk about that for a minute. We're going to talk about who is the book of Hebrews intended for, and then what kinds of things are happening in history. Because again, that helps us understand the scripture verses as a whole. So first, authorship. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? We actually don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's lots of talk amongst scholars that it could have been Barnabas, it could have been Paul, it could have been Apollos, Philip, Luke, Jude, the Clement of Rome, or Aquila. And then there is my personal favorite, who is Priscilla. Now, there are just as many reasons why some scholars believe that she could have written the book as there is that maybe she didn't write the book. And it's my favorite option because we know Priscilla is a woman. And back then, women and their voices were not listened to quite as often. And so it excites me to think about the fact that she could have been a possibility to have written the book of Hebrews is exciting. But at the end of the day, as I said, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And it's not an issue of salvation. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to kind of throw out the little tidbits that we learn and discuss about it. But it's not an issue of our salvation. Thank goodness. Now, the book of Hebrews, we call it a book but it's actually not a book. It was prepared more as a letter written to a specific group of people or a sermon to be prepared to a specific church. So who is this sermon or the letter intended for? The letter was written to encourage believers in Italy. So again, it could have been written by Priscilla because we know she had a major house church there with her husband, Aquila. So she could have been writing this letter to encourage the believers there, encourage them to face the trials that they are uh, called to face, to keep persevering and enduring. Or it could have been written by somebody outside of Italy, encouraging the believers there to keep persevering as well. But we know that the recipients of this letter would have been the Roman churches. 
Now, these Roman churches were full of newly converted Christians who were most likely Jewish. So they could have been Gentile, which just means not Jewish, but the majority of these Roman churches were full of Jewish people. So the author is constantly challenging throughout the book of Hebrews the people by saying, hey, we're not Jews anymore, so we're not going to do things the way we used to do them because now we believe in Jesus. So what kind of important events were happening in history at the time this book was written? We have a whole slide of the history here. So it was believed to have been written about 80-60-ish. We're not 100% sure about that. But as you can see just off of this list, it's really not a great decade for the Romans, right? We see persecution taking place. We see some of their major leaders are killed or thrown in prison. We see there's fires and wars are taking place. And I love that the Holy Spirit prompted the author of Hebrews to write a letter just as persecution is on the rise, just as things are getting really, really hard for the Roman church. These newer converted Christians, as we see, are facing all this persecution. Again, it's not a great decade. And oftentimes, we know from our own experiences in life, when things get really hard, we're tempted to go back to our old ways of living. So for instance, imagine that you are just a really negative thinker, right? You have a very negative thought life, and suddenly you're like, I actually don't want to live this way anymore. And I'm going to start to focus on my thoughts. I'm going to read some books about how to change your thought pattern. I'm going to pray about this. And suddenly something bad happens, like the garage door breaks. That happened to us two days ago. <laughs> uh, but something bad happens. Where immediately does your mind go? Negative, right? Because that's what you've done historically. Immediately you start to think, why does everything bad happen to me? Why can't something good ever happen to me? Why can't I be like so-and-so? Because everything is easy for them. Everything good happens to them. Why can't I do that? This is what you've done historically. That's where you're trained to go. Well, these newly converted Christians were facing all these difficult circumstances, and these difficult circumstances were only about to get worse. So, we hear, so here we see the author is warning them. Don't go back to your old Jewish ways. Don't be tempted to go back to the ways that you used to live. Don't be tempted to fall into the same sin anymore, but this time we're going to persevere on Jesus alone, and we can do this. So that's a little bit of the context, kind of the background story of what is going on in the book of Hebrews. And again, it's important to talk about context because it gives us greater understanding of the scriptures that we're going to look at today. So as I said before, we're going to talk about spiritual growth. Now, over the last few weeks, pastors Jeff and Christy have done such a great job talking about uh, a sermon series called A Relationship with God. And they've talked about what it means to have a relationship with God, and they've challenged us in that really well. But we know to have any sort of a healthy relationship with anybody, we have to grow in that relationship. And the same goes for our relationship with God. To have a healthy relationship with God, we have to grow and mature in our walk with Jesus. We don't stop learning. Now, I'm not going to assume that every single person in this room has a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you're just here checking out this church thing, that is so great. And we want you here. And you don't have to clean yourself up to come to church. You don't have to make yourself better to come here. You are welcome just how you are. 
and we love you right where you are. But for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are all called to grow. We are all called to mature. So with that being said, we're going to open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 11, and I'll be reading out of the NLT version, and it'll be on the screen as well. And I'm going to really exegete this verse. And now that means I'm going to break down kind of verse by verse. And we're going to pull out as much knowledge from each verse that we can. So I love in my Bible the heading to this portion of scripture is called a call to spiritual growth. And that's exactly what it is. So starting in verse 11 together, it says, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Happy Sunday. <laughs> Welcome to church, right? Super encouraging. So right away, the author hits us with this verse in a call to spiritual growth. Now, when it says there's much more we would like to say about this, the author is just referring to the previous verses where the author is trying to explain how Jesus is the high priest. But the author is saying essentially, well, I'd like to tell you more about how Jesus is our high priest, but you're kind of dull, and you're not really listening to the words I'm saying anyways, so I'll just stop. Spiritually dull here is a, actually a Greek term that means sluggish, dim-witted, negligent, or lazy. Because those the author is writing to or speaking to are lazy or lethargic with the gospel teaching that has been presented to them, this verse tells us they can't learn anything else yet. Moving on to verse 12, it says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basics about God's word. Now, it's important to note, as I was studying this portion of scripture, I found that these converted Christians hadn't been Christians like a super long, long time, but they also weren't brand new Christians to this. So they didn't like grow up in Christianity, obviously, but they didn't just accept Jesus like, last week. And if you're here and you're a brand new Christian and you are just learning the foundation of who Jesus is, that is so great. And you need to understand some of these foundational things about the gospel. And you need to understand that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. And you need to begin to explore the Holy Spirit and kind of learn some of these ABCs of Christianity, so to speak. Just as we see when we're a kid and we're in elementary school, we have to know the 26 letters of the alphabet before you can attempt to spell any of the million English words that we have. You have to learn to count to 100 before you can learn any basic math. Let's say you're a kindergartner and you get to your classroom, and on the first day, the kindergarten teacher comes to you and she's like, can you spell the word knife? without any basic knowledge of the alphabet, without any basic knowledge of that there's a silent K and a silent E, this obviously would not be helpful for that student. In fact, if the student showed up on the first day of school to kindergarten as a five-year-old and the spelling test had words like knife, phone, kernel, tough, knob, or photo, don't you think that would be an unfair expectation of the students? that spelling test for the five-year-olds would probably make them feel very overwhelmed, very unprepared, and probably not very smart, when the truth is they just haven't learned some of the basics yet. And the same goes for us 
as Christians. We have to create a solid foundation of our basics, and then we are called to move on. So again, if that is you today where you're creating this foundation, that is an amazing and very important place for you to be. And it's nothing for you to be ashamed about either because we're all in our different spots in relationship with the Lord and we're all in different spots of our understanding of who God is and what he asks of us. But it's important to know where you are in your faith walk so you can know where you need to grow. But this verse, these verses that we're talking about, it's not talking about people that are new to faith. Okay, so these people should be moving on from kindergarten, so to speak. In fact, these verses tell us that they should be teaching others. Just like when you're in second grade. Do you remember when you're in second grade and oftentimes you'd have like the younger buddies? So you'd get together like once a week, you'd get together with your kindergarten buddies. And what are the second graders expected to do when they get together with their kindergarten buddies? They might read with them. They might help them with their math homework. And they're definitely expected to lead by example. Even though these second graders have not completed their formal education, they have not completed elementary school, for goodness sakes, they haven't even completed second grade, they are using the knowledge that they have learned to pass on to those who are younger than them. But the author here is saying this is not happening. Nobody's passing on any information. Instead, the author is basically saying, we've completed this grade, and not only should you be moving on to the next grade, so to speak, you haven't led by example, and you haven't taught a anybody a single thing. You actually haven't even learned a single thing. And now you need to repeat this grade again. Now let's just imagine for a moment that you're the teacher in this circumstance of these students. You have done everything you can possibly do to make this student successful. You have spent extra time with this student. There's no student that you have encouraged more than this student. You have helped teach them how to lead by example. But at the end of the school year, they didn't learn a single thing. In fact, they're acting like all the concepts that you have taught them over the course of the year is actually brand new information that they've never heard before. Now for that teacher, I would imagine that they would be quite a bit sad and also probably really frustrated with this student. The teacher probably thinks, man, I have invested so much time, so much energy, so much effort into this student, and now they have to repeat it. Now I know this student is capable. If the student wasn't capable, it would be a different story, but the student is capable and they should be moving on. Can you see how that would be very frustrating for that teacher? That's exactly what is happening here in the scripture. The author is saying, not only should you know this basic stuff, you should be living it out. You should be teaching and you should be leading by example. The end of verse 12 says, you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. So here, before the author is talking about uh, not teaching others, now the author is talking about regression. So before, the, again, the author is saying, you should be teaching people. Now the author is talking about moving backwards, talking about regression. Now I have a three-year-old named Tommy, and I have a picture of him. 
to show you. This is my three-year-old Tommy. This is my favorite picture of him because if this doesn't encapsulate what it means to be a three-year-old, I don't know what does, right? He's got like a little milk mustache going on, black eye, and before you get nervous, this black eye happened here at church. <laughs> he was playing with his friends, they were running around, and they bonked heads, okay? Um, I didn't need to show you this picture, but I just wanted to because I love it so much, and I just love him, and he's so cute. Um, but Tommy, so he's three years old, and, I, and let's just imagine Tommy came to me, and he was like, Mom, I just want baby bottles of milk. That's all I want. That's all I need. Now, at this point, Tommy's three years old, and so he's had multiple Thanksgiving meals. He's had multiple Christmas meals. He's had multiple Easter meals. He has had steak and potatoes. He's eaten 10 chicken nuggets in one sitting from McDonald's. He's had those massive hot dogs from Sam's Club, right? So he's had really good food. He's had hearty food. He eats big meals. But suddenly, let's just imagine Tommy comes to me again, and he's like, milk from a baby bottle. That's all I want. No more food. Just milk from a baby bottle. I love the way one commentator puts this verse. The commentator says, knowledge without obedience does not advance a person. So at this point in Tommy's life, he has the knowledge of all the good food. But if he doesn't eat it, and he only relies on milk, he's not going to grow. His body won't be healthy, and his growth will be stunted. The same goes for the people that the author is talking about. Another commentator says this, says uh, they have long enough been exposed to the gospel teaching to be teaching it to others, but were babies, too infantile and unskilled to comprehend, let alone teach the truth of God. Moving on to verse 14, it says, solid food is for those who are mature through who training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So this verse is basically saying these people had the structure to understand the harder stuff, so to speak. Again, putting this into little Tommy terms. Imagine seeing Tommy coming, and he's got this mouthful of food or mouthful of teeth. He's able to talk. He's able to walk. He's able to play. He's able to do everything a normal three-year-old would do. And you then you watch him pick up a bottle of milk and drink it. Now at first you might be like. Well, that's a little weird. He seems a little old to drink milk from a bottle, but to each their own, right? And then imagine if I came to you and I was like, well, actually, he doesn't eat anything. He just relies on milk all day long. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking in your head, well, that's actually quite a bit concerning. I'm a little worried about that because it appears as though he has all the motor skills to pick his food up off the table and eat it. He has a mouth full of food, so we know he can chew, and he's not going to choke on his food. His mind and his body are mature enough to be able to handle solid food. This is what the author is talking about. They have heard the basics of the gospel over and over and over again. They have seen the gospel in action so much so that, remember, they were witnessing all that persecution that we looked at taking place so they know well enough to understand what is going on. Now, the word mature in this scripture verse actually references uh, those whose righteousness is found in Christ and not in their own confidence. So because these people were mature in the sense that the author is talking about because they had said yes to Jesus, they should be able to eat 
solid food. These people knew that their righteousness was found in Jesus. So these people should have had the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. They hadn't been trained to recognize the difference of right and wrong. And this wasn't from a lack of trying from their teachers. We know that their teachers have tried to teach them, but it was because they were spiritually dull, spiritually lazy, and spiritually sluggish. Remember the very first verse that we read said these people did not listen. And because these people didn't listen, that's why they couldn't tell the difference between right and wrong. Moving on to chapter 6, we see this continuation of the theme of spiritual growth. So we're going to look at verses 1 together. It says, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Now again, (laughs) it's important for me to say that if you are in this place today and you're just learning the basics, you're just learning the foundation of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, you need to rest in that spot. You need to soak in all the wisdom. You need to not be like the people in the Hebrews that didn't listen to their teachers. You need to listen to your spiritual training. You need to learn the basics. But the key is we don't stop there. We don't stop with the basics. We keep moving forward. We keep maturing and we keep growing. But again, that's not who the author is talking about, new to faith people. And that's why I think you can kind of hear this annoyance in the tone of the author's writing. Continue on in verse 1. It says, let us go on and become mature in our understanding. Now, go on here simply means that the basics are not something we abandon once we have learned them. So again, think about the ABCs. We don't abandon the ABCs once we have memorized the song. We build upon that. That's how we learn to spell. These are the basics. The basics are the starting line, but they are not the end. And unfortunately, I do believe the basics are where a lot of Christians stop. We see a lot of people who learn the basics of who Jesus is, Maybe accept him, begin to learn the truth, and then just stop there and don't put it into action. And when that happens, I don't believe that we see the fruit that we are called to show. There's no growth there, right? You begin to be stunted, and that's not how it should be. We are called to mature, and we are called to grow. Moving on in verse 1, it says, Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Again, I sort of like the sassy undertones of the author. Maybe you don't read that when you read uh, scripture, but I do. Uh, But anyways, the author is saying, I've already taught you the importance of repenting, which means turning away from the things that cause you to sin and turn towards God. Please don't tell me we have to talk about repentance again. We've talked about this so many times. Again, this is what I imagine the author to be like. Moving on to verse 2, it says, You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. Like the previous verses, I imagine the author is like, For the love, (laughs) I don't want to teach you the same truths This is the 15th time now I've sat in this room and taught the exact same people the exact same truths, and they're not getting it. And I'm frustrated, and I don't want to do it anymore. That's the tone that I hear. (laughs) But interestingly enough, 
the baptisms that is talked about in this scripture verse actually is not how we would view it today, where we make that public and very important declaration of our faith. It is actually referring to a Jewish ceremonial practice of cleansing, of washing. The laying on of hands that is also mentioned here in this verse also refers to a Jewish practice where the people would lay their hands on something that they were going to sacrifice for their sins so they could identify with it. And again, that's why I believe we hear this annoyance within the author. Because the author is like, we're not Jews anymore. We are Christians now. We're not going to go over these things again and again. We don't need to talk about ceremonial washings anymore because Jesus cleansed us once and for all. We don't need to talk about uh, laying on of hands on things that we're going to sacrifice for our sins because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. We're not Jews anymore. Quit going back to the things that you used to do. Quit going back to the things that you used to believe and find faith in Jesus alone. This is what I wrote on a sticky note in my Bible the first time that I read it through uh, because this really stuck out to me, the, these verses. It said, the elementary beliefs are closely linked to Jewish beliefs. The writer is saying, quit going back to your Jewish ways and let's move on from that. There will always be a great temptation to be religious but not in love with Jesus. When we begin to fall into the temptation of religion, we begin to deny Jesus and we are called to move on from those ways. This again kind of plays off of what Pastor Christy talked about a couple weeks ago when she said that it has to be our love for Jesus behind everything that we do and not our religion. Ending this portion of scripture that we're going to look at today in verse 3, it says, and so God willing, we move forward to further understanding. And that's my prayer that as Christians, we would move on. We would move away from our old beliefs. We would move away from our sinful patterns. We would move on from our immaturity, and we begin to build upon the basics that we have learned. Let's grow together. So as we wrap up today, I kind of want to go over a little bit of a milestone checklist. Now, as we do that, this in no way is meant to make you feel like you don't measure up. If that's how you feel when we talk about it, that is the enemy speaking to you. Because the enemy always wants us to feel like we aren't good enough to grow or that we can't grow. That's where the enemy wants to keep us. But the truth is, we all have the opportunity to grow. That is the beautiful thing about Jesus. The Bible tells us that he doesn't keep a record of our sins. And every day is a new opportunity for growth. Every day is a second chance. So we have to keep growing. So milestones, you know, when you have kids and you take them to the doctor in their first year of life, and it seems like you're going every day, <laughs> that before the doctor comes in, the nurse hands, hands you a milestone checklist. It might say something like this. By two months, your baby should react when you pick them up. The baby uh, should make other sounds than crying. They should watch you move. They should hold their head up when they're on their tummy. By four months, the baby should turn their heads towards your voice. They should hold a toy in their hand when you place it in their hand. They should bring their hands to their mouth. They should hold their head steadies. By six months, the baby should know familiar people. They should roll from their tummies to their backs. They should laugh, put things in their mouths. These are milestones. 
Now, this is not an exact science because we know every baby is different and every uh, growth is different, but it's helpful for the doctors to keep an eye on their growth and development, right? It might point out areas where, oh, we maybe need to keep an eye on this area or, oh, this looks really good because developmental growth is measurable for the doctors. It's important to look at these areas so the doctors know where their health is, how healthy they are. Now, the same goes for our spiritual milestones that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Spiritual milestones are also measurable. But again, to grow, you have to know where you are. So as we read, um, first, our maturity, I think there's a chart that we're going to look at. Our maturity starts when we accept Jesus, that scripture verse said, and it ends with perfection, which obviously we know is not attainable. So we're going to talk about the three areas on this chart. We're going to talk about regression, stunted growth, and growing. So first, regression. So again, think of my Tommy, who wants a baby bottle as a three-year-old. Now, just a side note, Tommy is a really good eater, okay? This is just for a metaphorical purpose. But Tommy is mature enough, uh, he's old enough, he has all the ability, all the teeth to eat solid food, yet he came to me and said, I actually choose not to. A regressive Christian is the same. They have all the tools, they have had all the experience, they have had all the training and the capability to grow, but yet they choose not to, and they choose to regress instead. Regression in regards to your spiritual walk can look like the following. It can be unstable. So again, think of a baby. Babies are often handed from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person. And why? Because mom's arms get tired. <laughs> the babies are very hot, right? So the, you hand them off to the next person, and then they're like, ah, the baby's so hot. So they hand it off to the next person, and then the baby starts crying. So it gets handed back to mom, and then mom's tired again, so it gets handed off to the next person. That's what we do with babies. But the Bible warns us as Christians in Ephesians and also later in Hebrews that we wouldn't be handed off from doctrine to doctrine. It warns us that we wouldn't be handed off from new truth to new truth or new cultural trend to new cultural trend. We are never meant to be unstable in our faith. We are called to stand firm on Jesus alone. So a regressive Christian can be a Christian that is very unstable in their beliefs. A regressive Christian can also look like playing it safe or say, staying in the crib. Again, think of a baby. We have to keep the babies safe. We have to keep them contained inside a crib because it is what is best for them. A regressive child would be one that suddenly wants the comfort and the safety of a baby crib when they no longer need it. So imagine like a seven-year-old, and they're like, I would really like to sleep in a crib. You'd be like, you don't need to sleep in a crib. There's no reason for you to sleep in a crib anymore. A staying safe Christian is one that doesn't want to step out of the boat, so to speak, for Jesus anymore. This Christian only surrounds themselves with people that they're really comfortable with. They only surround themselves with situations that they're comfortable with or situations that they can control. And obviously we know this doesn't allow for any sort of growth because growth is always very uncomfortable. At least it has been in my life. A regressive Christian can just look like somebody that's fussy or difficult. Again, we know babies are fussy. We know babies are difficult. They often don't know what they need or what they want. 
And a regressive faith can also just be a difficult person. It can be a person that doesn't get along with many people. It can be a person that isn't very good at showing love to people. It can mean that maybe they don't know what they want or what they need in their faith life. So that's regression. The second area that we're going to talk about is stunted growth. And this is where growth has just stopped. And oftentimes, seasons of regression lead to stunted growth. Again, think of Tommy. If Tommy regressed and he was only drinking milk as a three-year-old, what would happen to his body? He wouldn't be getting all the key nutrients that he needs for healthy growth. And because of that, his growth would be stunted. Again, for Christians, oftentimes if we're living in these prolonged seasons of regression, we eventually get to a season of plain old stunted growth. Stunted growth can look like the following. It can look like lazy or dull faith. Oftentimes, I really believe this happens because we've been staying in our cribs for too long. We've been totally playing it safe. When we totally play it safe and when we stay in our cribs, I don't believe that there's a whole lot of reason to have active faith. You haven't had to trust God for anything. And because of that, your faith has become lazy or it has become dull, just as the author stated in the very first verse that we looked at today. Stunted growth can also look like you've quit listening. This is exactly what the people in the Hebrews did, right? They quit listening. They quit listening to their teachers. So maybe you've quit listening to your teachers. Maybe you've quit listening to your godly mentors. Maybe you've quit listening to your godly friends. Maybe you've quit listening to God outright. Maybe you've quit listening to the wisdom that we gain through reading scripture verses. Maybe you've quit showing up, showing up to church or to a Bible study. Stunted growth can also look like spiritually asleep, which I believe plays off of quit listening. Because at this point, you're just kind of done. If people ask you, hey, are you a Christian? You'd probably be like, yeah, I am. But there's no fruit that proves that you are. Your actions, your behaviors, the words that come out of your mouth don't show any sort of Christ-like behavior at all. So that's regressive and stunted growth. And then lastly, we're going to look at growing. A growing person is somebody that moves on past the basics. So this is where you've learned those fundamental beliefs of our faith and you've put them into practice and now you are desiring more. This could be joining a Bible study. This could be consistently reading your Bible, having consistent prayer time. All growth is different, so it looks different for all of us, right? I love to study commentary. Somebody else might say, I'm just learning the difference between the Old and the New Testament and that is great. All that matters is that we are growing. But again, the key to growing is to know where you are so you can know where you need to grow. Growing can also look like teaching others and leading by example. I love that analogy of the second graders and the kindergarten buddy because we know that the second graders haven't completed their education, but they are taking what they have learned this far in their education and they are helping the younger ones and they are leading by example. So if you're growing, you're teaching others, you're living it out, and you're leading by example. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean starting a podcast. This doesn't necessarily mean writing a Bible study. This doesn't necessarily mean that you're writing a book. 
It could totally mean those things for you. And if it means those things for you, that is great. And you should do it. But most of the time, it starts a lot smaller than that. Generally, it starts with those around us. So for those of us who are parents, it starts with leading our kids in the things of God with great intentionality. For those of us who go into the office every day at work, it starts with leading by example and watching the things that come out of our mouths. For those of us that work virtually at home, it starts by being really, really careful about the things that come across your computer screen and the way that you are responding to people behind that keyboard. And for all of us, when we go out into public, maybe we offer a little bit more patience to people than they deserve. And maybe we show them a little bit more love than maybe they deserve. Another way to tell if you are growing is if you are obeying the Holy Spirit. I'm a firm believer that if we are obeying, we are growing. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? In my life, every time the Holy Spirit speaks to me, it's something I never would want to do, but of course it aligns with scripture. <laughs> so for me, it's been going down to street team. I had this idea in my head like, oh, Stephen, we should go down to street team. And immediately I was like, actually, no, that's got to be the Holy Spirit because I don't know how comfortable I am with going down and ministering to people in Minneapolis that are homeless. I'm, I'm just not quite sure how comfortable I am with that. But the more I thought about it and the more I prayed about it, I was like, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit has asked me to do. I knew that that was something I had to get out of my crib and just do. Another thing for me might be sharing parts of my story. If you know parts of my story, it's not the easiest to talk about. But the Bible tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and the things that we go through help other people to endure what they are walking through. Another thing for me might be applying for my pastor's license or applying for a school program. I actually don't like to put myself out there at all. I, don't, I fear rejection, right? I don't want to do those things. But the more I prayed about it, the more I knew this is exactly what the Holy Spirit has asked me to do. Another thing might be if, if you followed us or know us for a while is uh, last year, I think in June, we felt as husband and wife that it was time to sell our business okay, and step into full-time ministry. And this is something that we have denied, I think, for a long time doing because we like the extra money. <laughs> and this could only be something that the Holy Spirit would ask you to do is to give up something where you're getting extra income, take a pay cut in the year where everything is 7% more expensive. That's only the Holy Spirit, right? Another thing could just be giving a certain amount of money to speed the light. All of these things that the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do or us to do have not necessarily been things that I would want to do, have not necessarily been things that I would be comfortable doing. Now, my question for you would be, do you think the more that I prayed about these things, the more comfortable I got with the idea? Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. But the more I prayed about it, the more I felt in my spirit, this is the right thing to do. It didn't become less scary. It didn't become less comfortable. And by the way, we didn't succeed in every area that the Holy Spirit asked us to step out and do. And I believe that that's because God also teaches us something when somebody tells us no. It doesn't mean every area was easy for us. But I'll tell you this. Every time that we have stepped out of the crib, it has only led to a more active 
faith life. Because when we quit playing it safe, we activate our faith. So I believe when we say yes to the Holy Spirit, when we're obeying the Holy Spirit, it opens the door for new and major growth. Now, if you're sitting in this room today and you're thinking, well, actually, it's pretty boring to be a Christian, or I've, I've never felt God challenge me before, or I've never been asked to do this things, things like that before, my question for you, or my response to you might be, I just don't know if you're hearing the voice of God then. I don't know if you're obeying the voice of God. You're probably hearing it, but I just don't know if you're obeying it. If you want to start to have an exciting faith life, start saying yes when it doesn't make any sense. Start saying yes when it's scary. You will grow because of your yes. My biggest dream for my life uh, is to be like 80 years old, sitting on a rocking chair with my husband around a fireplace with our kids and our grandkids and telling them story after story after story of all the times that we had to say yes to Jesus even when it made no sense. Of all the times that we had to say, I didn't know how God was going to come through, but we said yes. And God did come through and he proved himself faithful. And now we don't just do this for ourselves to say, oh, look at me, I said yes to Jesus. We do this because then it reminds those coming after us, yes, you're going to have to say yes. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, it's not going to make any sense. And I understand it's painful. But because God came through for me, I know he will come through for you. And when the time comes where you have to say yes and you're not sure how it's going to work out, I got your back. I will do everything I can as a mom and as a grandma to say, I believe what God has spoken to you is true. And I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe with you. And I got your back because that's what we as the body of Christ do. We call others to say yes, because we're not content with just staying where we are in our faith walk. Just as parents, we're not content with our kids just staying three years old. We want them to grow. We grow when we're obedient. So as we close, let's just take a moment and look over that um, milestone slide one more time. And just ask yourself, where do I fall into? Am I in a season of regression or stunted growth? And if you are, that's okay. God's incredibly patient with us. If we're growing, maybe ask the Lord how to keep growing because we don't want to fall back. We don't want to fall into regression or stunted growth. And in no way is this meant to make you again feel discouraged. It's meant to encourage you to keep growing and keep persevering in the things that God has called you to do. I really believe that it is through our spiritual growth that changes the world around us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you're not content <laughs> with just us staying how we are. But I thank you that you're incredibly patient with us. <laughs> We're not always, if we're parents, we know we're not always patient with our kids' growth. But, man, you are so patient with us. And so for those of us who are just in a season of regression or stunted growth, Lord, I thank you that you are just calling us to more. But you're doing it so kindly and with compassion and with great patience because you're saying, there's more for you. There's more. So, Lord, I just pray that every person in here would be challenged to grow. Because, man, what would the world look like, Jesus, if every Christian actually committed to growing? 
I can't even imagine how beautiful that would be. And so I just pray that you would challenge us, that you'd convict us, that you'd make us more like you, and you'd reveal any areas in our lives that are offensive to you because all we want to be is more like you. And for those people in this place that are just checking out what it means to be a Christian, I pray that you would stir something in their heart, that you continue to just show them that you love them and that you desire to be in relationship with them. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us. We thank you that it convicts us and it makes us, makes us more like you. So bless every person in this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We will have uh, prayer teams up front to pray with you. Otherwise, thanks for joining us this weekend, and we will see you next week.